God, we just declare your name, the name of Jesus in every circumstance, in every family, in every life. God, we just declare the name of Jesus in this sanctuary this morning. We declare the name of Jesus in every living room that it, where, there, where this service is being watched. God, I pray that right now that, God, we declare the name of Jesus right now. And let it, Lord, shine bright through the shadows over every enemy, God. We declare your holy name, God. Hallelujah. 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 Amen, amen. If you would, just remain standing with me as you turn your Bibles, in your Bibles, to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16. And while you are turning there, let me just encourage you that if you have not given already, uh, we encourage you to use a secure give uh, to be able to give electronically. Um, or if you are here in person, uh, there are the giving boxes out in the foyer. We encourage you to give uh, as you exit this morning. In Acts chapter 16, a very familiar passage of scripture about Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas had been ministering uh, in the region and they had come to Philippi and it was there that God moved and uh, people were being saved and baptized and ultimately there was a woman who was Possessed, and that demon that was within her was giving her the ability or uh, was speaking through her to uh, foretell sh uh, futures and, and uh, fortunes and that kind of thing. And, and as she followed Paul and Silas around one day, they tolerated it, but eventually they cast uh, that demon to come out of her. And what we find is that, of course, her, her owners were very upset at what they had lost. And this is how this is, so the, these owners and the multitude, I'm going to begin reading in verse 22 of Acts chapter 16. As we pick up the story, um, kind of in the middle in that sense, but I want us to be able to focus on what happens as a result of the attack and the accusations against Paul and Silas. And verse 22 says, Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were bemoaning, woe is me. No? But Paul and Silas were banging on the jail cell door saying, let us go. No. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, and so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called out with a loud voice, saying, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. 
And then he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you and I praise you. Oh, that Lord, that we are able to come before you this morning. And that, God, that we are able to declare your goodness, your grace in the name of Jesus in the sanctuary upon your word and upon every circumstance that we have entered into uh, this place carrying. And so, God, I pray that the name of Jesus, God, goes before us. God stands behind us, stands on our either side. God, completely surrounding us as we come this morning and understand and hear your voice. Let us hear the call of God in our lives as we respond to you this morning, God. Let us encounter your glory this morning, God. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Anybody remember comic strips? They used to carry them in, of course, the Sunday paper were my favorite because they were in color and they got a whole section to themselves. When I was growing up, I did not, um, I would always, uh, I didn't want to read the whole paper. I wasn't interested in that. Uh, but there was always two sections I would try to steal from my dad. Um, and that was the sports section and the comics section. And uh, one of my favorite comic strips was Calvin and Hobbes. I don't know if you remember Calvin and Hobbes, but Calvin was a little boy, and Hobbes uh, was his uh, stuffed animal tiger that went with him on multiple many adventures. And to Calvin, Hobbes was just as real as you or I sitting here talking this morning. And uh, one particular comic strip that I always remember was uh, Calvin coming in at the end of the day, he is covered with dirt from head to toe. And in being covered with dirt, and he's got this cloud of dust and dirt, and he's filthy, and his hair's a mess, and he goes, he says, my elbows are grass-stained, I've got sticks in my hair, I'm covered with bug bites and cuts and scratches. The next box said, I've got sand in my socks and leaves in my shirt. My hands are sticky with sap and my shoes are soaked. I am hot, I am dirty, sweaty, itchy, and tired. What I love about this comic strip is not those first two boxes, but those first two boxes, as most good comic strips do, only set up the final box. And the final box says this, and we have it for the screen. Calvin is in the bathtub. Hobbes, his, his trusted friend, is standing, is sitting there with him. And Hobbes says, I say, consider this day seized. And Calvin, in good fashion, says, tomorrow we will seize the day again and throttle it. <laughs> Typical little boy who seizes the day and relishes all of the dirt and the sticks and the bug bites and the sap and everything else that became to define the adventures of that day. And it enticed him. It whet his appetite to say, I want to experience even more tomorrow. And I come this morning to ask the question, or to remind us rather, I guess, of this idea of carpe diem. 
Carpe diem, that Latin phrase that was originated in a Roman poem many, many centuries ago that literally translates seize the day. Seize the day. And, and I want to ask us this morning, how are we seizing the day? We are looking at Paul and Silas in our text this morning and we are reminded that they definitely become this shining example of what it means to spiritually seize the day. They are at their darkest hour. That is, uh, they have been ministering. God has been moving. People have been uh, saved and baptized and the birthing of a church and cities and, and, and all of a sudden they are experiencing this nuisance of this demon uh, who is possessing this fortune teller girl and all of a sudden through their encounter they find themselves uh, being arrested and mistreated in the most unjust way. It's said that the magistrates tore off their clothes. They beat them. And they were so concerned with them escaping that they were put into the innermost prison, shackled and put in stocks, and there they were in their darkest hour. And in that darkest hour, we don't find them belly aching. We don't find them crying out for justice. We don't even find them uh, clanging on the door or you know starting some sort of a prison chant to get a, a, a you know to get everybody else all riled up on their defense. They're not scheming to dig out a tunnel out from that that prison. They're they're not doing anything of that. But instead, in their darkest hour, here they are worshiping. And in the middle of this worshiping moment, in their darkest hour, they have seized the day and something supernatural begins to happen. And when something supernatural begins to happen, it is coming in the form of this earthquake. The earth is beginning to shake. And when the earth shakes, we don't find it recorded that Paul and Silas become consumed with fear. We don't find them trying to clamor and hide for cover, if, even if they could move. We don't find them even being thrown off their mark one bit. As a result of this supernatural earthquake, the doors have flung open, their chains have fallen off. And if it was me, my first thought probably is, hurry, quick, let's get out and let's get away before we can be caught. But no, Paul and Silas seize the moments of that day, or of that night, I guess I should say. They seize the moment and they just simply maintain where they are. And in that moment, not only uh, do the prisoners get a demonstration of God's power and, his, and, and what God is able to do, but the Philippian jailer who has no background in terms of God all of a sudden realizes what is taking place. And what I love about this story is because Paul and Silas seized the day of this moment uh, of giving God praise and worship, God is able to bring it about and the, and the, and the Philippian jailer all of a sudden, he seizes the moment as well. He seizes the moment, calls upon the name of Christ, and he and eventually his household are saved. When I think about that, I think one of the biggest things that as we reflect upon this season of our culture, the season of our day, I think one of the biggest threats and dangers that we have experienced through this quarantine and through COVID and all of that has been going on is that it has paralyzed believers and that we have failed to seize the day of the moment that is at hand. 
that we have gotten into this habit, we've gotten into this place of trying to tread water, and I am going to be transparent, and I have found myself at various times in this process of being guilty of just that, of just trying to keep our head above water, tread water, so that we can survive, that, uh, that we can try to make things happen. Uh, just uh, just get through the season and eventually uh, you know, the thought is we're going to get to a place where all of this is going to be a distant memory. But nowhere do we find in the story of Paul and Silas that they're sitting there treading water in the prison, so to speak, and I'm just hoping and waiting until this ordeal gets put behind them. They seize that moment. They seize the day. And so we were reminded uh, this past couple, the past couple of days, Friday and uh, Thursday and Friday was uh, camp meeting, and 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 we were challenged. It really kind of we discussed it as a, as as a team. We, we discussed it as being able to say Daniel Kalenda throughout this thought of uh, of this whole idea of are we really living in the last days? And in this season, there's been a lot of prophecy and there's been a lot of people that have conjured out there and the speculation about a return of God is how close is his return. I believe that his return is certainly closer now than it's ever been before and that we see that the events that we are facing and the events that we are going through as a nation and as a world are certainly setting the stage for the return of God and the coming of the Lord and in these last days and in terms of the big picture of things. We know that we are living in the final seconds of the church age, uh, the final moments of, those, of this age of where we realize that the return of God is imminent. But this question that Daniel Kalinda asked is, or he kind of threw out there, is that, you know, the question is, are we living in the last days? And the reality is, is while we may not know the day or the time or the hour that Jesus is returning, the reality is that what he uh, threw out there to us is that the reality is that every single one of us are living in the last days. And it's not because of us trying to predict of when Jesus is returning, but the reality is, is that every single one of us are limited and finite in the days that we have remaining in our life. And so even if not for the entire world, we understand that we as believers are living in our last days, whether that's uh, years or decades, it doesn't matter how old or young that we are, that we realize that every single one of us are living out and living in the last days of our lives. And if we're going to really embrace that and understand that, we've got to ask ourselves, what are we going to do with it? And I ask the question to us this morning is what are we doing with the opportunity to seize the day of the culture and the season that we're living in? When quarantine first started, maybe you were different than I was, but I kind of thought, oh, wow, we had a shelter in place for uh, a few weeks. Man, this is a great, and I had this list in my head. I'm going to go through this. I'm going to clean out storage. I'm going to go through the basement. I'm going to organize this. And I'm thinking, we got we got a shelter in place. You know how many of those things I got done? Zero. We found ourselves, in terms of ministry, we found ourselves working harder during the sheltering in place than we did before we started the quarantine. And so nothing at home in that regard got done. 
But how, how, what are we doing with the opportunity? We, we say to ourselves, we're going to take advantage of this, or we're going to seize the moment and seize the day. But we find ourselves really having to answer the question, honestly, what are we doing with this? Jesus was confronted, and he was asked uh, about uh, this blind man who had been born from birth. And in being born from birth, he was, Jesus was asked the question. He said, whose fault is it that this man is blind? Is it his fault uh, because he has sinned, or is it his parents' fault because they sinned? And in John chapter 9, verse 3, this is what Jesus responds to them with. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. For the night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. You see, Jesus declares that through this man's affliction, through his blindness, that God was in it in order to demonstrate his own works. And so as we look around to the circumstances and we look around to the events of the day, maybe we need to ask ourselves, God, what are you trying to do in our world? What are you trying to do in me? What are you trying to do in our church? What are you trying to do in our community through this? And Jesus says, I must work while it is still day because the night is coming. Excuse me. Jesus makes this declaration that he has to be able to be about his father's business. Why? Because he understands that the time is coming when he will not be able to. The night is coming. And I, I pray that this begins to challenge us because when the night is coming, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But he doesn't just make that declaration in an empty vacuum. He says, as long as I am in this world, I am the light of the world. Now, Jesus physically was in the world when he spoke this. Today, we understand that Jesus has ascended. He is at the right throne, uh, the throne, the right hand of God, and, and he is living and dwelling, and he is omnipresent. He is in all places at all times. But you know who the light of the world still is? It's still Jesus. And so Jesus' light is still shining, but he's physically not in the flesh any longer. So what flesh is the light of the world occupying and living in in this day and age. You and me. That in this time, in this season, that we understand that the light of the world is desiring to shine through us to continue to work. And if Jesus is going to fulfill the work of God for him who sent him, and that as long as Jesus Christ is in this world, that he is that light of the world, then we have to pick up that mantle. We have to understand that Jesus is desiring for us to be at work, for us to be able to seize the day because while it is day, we must be at work. We must allow the light of God to be able to shine. What if all that we are experiencing is not about trying to uh, just 
uh, call or instill fear. Oh, but what if? Oh, today, this season that we are going through is all about preparing you and I for things that are going to be even later, for things that are going to be even worse. Oh, I can only imagine. I was reminded a couple days ago. Oh, what if? Oh, that thunderstorm. Oh, that was in the days of Noah, that before the flood ever came. Oh, that they understood. Oh, that through the thunderstorm, what it meant and what it meant to be prepared. What if? Oh, this season that we are in right now is all about God's grace shining upon us as the church to prepare us for a day and time. Oh, when that night is coming and we won't be able to do things. Oh, because so many times we have made our relationship with God about who we can connect with and who is standing next to us, who is praying for us, who is laying hands on us. And in a day and age when things begin to look and shift, oh, we have to understand that it's not about who's on my right. It's not about who's on my left. But it's about seizing the day and saying, God, I want to know you. I want to be at your will. I want to be working for you. And I want to fulfill all that you have for me. Amen. Amen. You see, Churches, believers, too many times we find ourselves going through the motions. But we've got to work. We've got to seize the moment. Why? Because it's still day. It is still day. But the night is going to be coming. And so we've got to work the things that God has led us and commanded us to do. A.W. Tozer uh, said it this way, great God thinker and, and, and minister of the gospel. He said, I'm not worried about being criticized for what I do, or for what I did do. I'm worried about the things that I could have done and didn't. Do you realize that today, Mark's, Ten weeks that we have been back in church in person. Prior to that, we spent ten weeks worshiping online in quarantine. So today marks this milestone of 20 weeks since things shifted and the world became turned upside down. And when we begin to reflect and think about those 20 weeks... What have we done to seize the day spiritually? Ten weeks ago, we had this, and I, well, prior, leading up to ten weeks ago, when we resumed on-campus services, I, I remember seeing multiple kind of memes and graphics about uh, this is what it's going to look like when we get to return to God's house. Man, and you had, you know, every uh, meme and, and, and uh, thing of shouting, joyful dancing, running the aisles. I mean, it was everything that you could imagine with expressing joy about being able to gather it again together. But I'll be honest with you. The last 10 weeks, I haven't seen any of that. And it's not just here. Being able to converse and talk with other pastors. The greatest threat, I'll be honest with you, to the church today has nothing to do with the virus, has nothing to do with our government, has nothing to do with the world around us, and has everything to do with the heart and the mindset of God's people. 
Because every church, every pastor that I have talked to is dealing with the exact same issue of that there seems to be this wall that is surrounding our sanctuaries, that is surrounding our worship, and that, allow, and that is preventing God's people from really encountering God. Right. And whether you are worshiping here in the building, whether you are worshiping at home, the challenge for every single one of us is to be able to say that I need and need to be able to seize the moment that even in my darkest hour, I'm going to have a Paul and Silas moment of being able to worship and declare and trust God. And even when the earth shakes beneath my feet, oh, I'm still going to worship God. Even when I'm beaten and thrown into a dark place, I'm still going to worship God. I'm still going to trust Him. I'm still going to seize the day. Oh, and even when I'm in prison, not shackled, I'm going to lead people to Christ. I'm going to be about the business of my father. I'm going to be used by him. Oh, you see, we've got to ask ourselves. It's great that we've returned to the building, but we have to ask ourselves, what are we doing with it? I applaud, and I've been talking this week, I applaud those that are maintaining safety and they're trying to stay at home as much as possible and that they are trying to keep themselves and their families safe. And in that decision, that means that they are choosing to continue to worship home. I applaud that and I support that 110%. But whether you are worshiping at home or whether you are worshiping in the sanctuary. The question that we have to be able to answer is what are we doing with the opportunity to encounter God? What are we doing with it? Because when we come, this is what I've observed. There's a going through the motions. There is a checklist. There is this disengagement that has happened because it's different than anything we've ever experienced before. I'm just being transparent with you that are here and those that are watching at home that we have to be able to answer ourselves. Are we satisfied with this or are we dissatisfied? I researched. Do you know how long it takes for a habit to be formed? A new habit takes three weeks, 21 days. If you can do something consistently for 21 days, for three weeks, uh, then that is considered a habit. And if you want that habit to be permanent, it takes 13 weeks. How long have we been, when did we first have to go to online only? That was, what, 20 weeks ago? And my fear as a pastor is that there have been some new habits spiritually that have been formed over the last 20 weeks that have become detrimental to our spiritual health. If you are worshiping at home, worship at home. Connect with God. Connect with his word. Connect with him in worship. If you have to turn the service on or turn on worship music in your living room and shut everybody else out, then do that to connect with God. If you're coming to God's house, you can't just wait until you come on Sunday morning at 9 or 11 to be able to say, I'm ready to encounter God. We've got to be able to say, God, I want to be able to step into whatever this season that, God, that you are ordaining or allowing. 
You see, because we don't just need to, I'm thankful for new, me, new means and new methods and that we're able to live stream and that we're, that we're able to record and broadcast. And that I'm, I'm thankful for new things that God has been doing. But even in all of that, guess what? We cannot lose the fellowship with God and we cannot lose the fellowship with one another. We cannot lose the heartbeat of what defines the church and what specifically defines Livonia Church of God. And if we are not careful, hear my words this morning, that we will find ourselves developing new habits that will be the death of our spiritual lives. And we have to be intentional about being able to say, God, I recognize the season is not what we want it to be. Oh, but God, I'm going to seize the day and I'm going to make the best of it. Even if it means I've got sap on my hands and sticks in my hair and we've got dirt from head to toe like Calvin and Calvin and Hobbes. It doesn't matter what oh, that cost may be. God, I'm going to seize the moment and I'm going to seize it like Paul and Silas. I'm going to be able to say, God, I want to worship you where there's supernatural manifestations. And when the supernatural manifestations show up, even if it's in the form of an earthquake, even if it's in the form of something that might be scary at first, I'm going to continue to stand fast. I'm going to continue to stand with my armor of God and I'm going to continue to lift my hands in worship. I'm going to continue to carry my sword of the Spirit. I'm going to continue to pray before God without ceasing and I'm going to continue to say, God, I need to hear your voice. God, I need to encounter you. Every time we walk into the sanctuary, every time we turn on the service at home, we need to be able to have the heart that says, I'm not just putting my time in, I'm not just doing the checklist, but God, I'm here to encounter you. I'm here to encounter your word. I'm here to be able to hear everything that you have to say to me. Amen. One of the things that the radio stations that I love to listen to in the car is The Fish 104.7. And it is the Christian radio station out of Atlanta. And even though we live in Franklin County, in most places around here, I'm able to pick that up on my in the car there's one place as I'm backing out of my driveway when I turn the car on in the driveway I'm listening to the fish as I back out of my driveway just outside of the doors for whatever reason whether it's the metal of the garage door or whether it's whatever all of a sudden in that 10, 15 foot section of my driveway outside of my garage. I'm not listening to the fish. I'm listening to some guy play a banjo every single time. I'll just, that's not my favorite. I don't like listening to the banjo being plucked. And it drives me nuts. I fuss every time, Tina just said. But you know what? As soon as I back all the way out of my driveway and I get on Bear Creek Road, guess what comes back in? 104.7 The Fish. And what happens when that radio, the car antenna, is moving? It has this interference. It's the location. It's the positioning of the car. Something gets in the way where I'm not able to hear what I'm wanting to hear. And unfortunately, what has happened for many believers over the last 20 weeks 
is that we have allowed the interference of the world and the interference of the circumstances to reposition our life so that we are finding it difficult to hear the voice of God in our lives. And that we've got to make sure and that today, on this day, we've got to make the decision that we are going to say, I will not continue to be out of position so that I am unable to fully and clearly hear God's voice in my life. I can't wait when I'm backing out of the driveway to get all the way out so that I can get, I don't have to listen to the banjo plucking anymore. But too many of us spiritually, we put the car in park so that all we're hearing is the interference and the noise of the world and we've lost the sound of God in our life. And what I want to caution us and call us back to is this understanding that, listen, God is still speaking to us. God has not gone anywhere. God is just as real and just as alive today as he was 20 weeks ago. That God is still speaking. God is still moving. And he's moving and speaking probably now more than ever before. Why? Oh, because he understands and knows that his people need him. And they need his voice. We need his voice. And we've got to make the decision. Oh, that I'm going to position myself. Oh, where I can hear God clearly. And whether that's at home. Whether that's in the sanctuary. Wherever it may be. Oh, that we're going to be able to say, God, help me to be positioned in such a way that I can hear your voice. And that when I hear your voice, I'm going to respond and I'm going to seize the day. I'm going to seize the moment and say, God, here I am. Let me be about your business. Let me be about being a kingdom man or a kingdom woman so that God, while we were even in this season, we can see the earth shake and people come to know you. That we can see spirits cast out. That we can see breakthroughs like we've never seen before. Oh, because if there's a time that the world needed to see the church stand up and seize the moment and to seize the day, it is 2020 and we have for too long have treaded water and not grabbed the hold of the moment and said, God, here we are. Speak through us, use us, and move in our community and our lives. See, during the season, we learn about our relationship with God. We find out how much we really depended upon the people that were standing on our left or our right. And we find out how much we depended on, on others to really be able to encounter him. And to encounter the gospel. And so in this moment, we've got to be able to say, God, I need you to speak to me. I need you to speak prophetically. I need you to speak and move in my life because I don't want to hang out in this in-between, out-of-position place. I don't want to hang out and live in a wilderness. I don't want to live in the desert. I don't want to live in the silence. Oh, but God, I need you. I need to rise up to that mountaintop. I need to rise up onto that elevated place where I can hear your voice, where I can counter your spirit. And we need to have a Moses moment where we become ready to climb the mountain and we leave the world behind and say, God, here I am. Oh, let me encounter you. Let me encounter your glory. Oh, because it's there in the middle of his glory that life becomes to look, begins to look different. It's there in his glory that things begin to melt away and change and transform. And for us this morning, we need to be able to say, God, I want to seize the day. I want to carpe diem. I want to seize the moment of being able to say, God, let me encounter you and encounter your glory. And before we begin to think, well, how in the world 
Can we hear God in the middle of the 24-hour news cycle that may or may not be true? How do we listen to God in the middle of riots and chaos? How do we listen to God in the middle of division and arguing and yelling? How do we listen to God when we're dealing with such turmoil and affliction in our lives? Paul, Paul and Silas, you know, they, they're here in this prison, and we are familiar with Paul's life. Arrested a countless number of times, beaten a countless number of times. But this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. He says, for our light affliction. There was nothing light about the affliction that Paul faced in his life. But that's what he considered. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You see, in this moment, we've got to make sure that we're not just looking at the affliction and the turmoil as being all negative. But we've got to be able to say, God, what is the weight of your glory that you desire to reveal to me? Even in the middle of the affliction. Even in the middle of what I'm having to face and go through. What is the glory of God that you desire to reveal? You see, because when we go through difficult times, sometimes God is wanting to meet us. Not just in the middle of it. But he's wanting to do some things through us when we get to the other side. And there is this blessing. There is this power in that we need to be able to say, God, I need your glory. God, I need your glory to show up. I need your glory to show up and, and shape the very foundation of the world beneath me. I need you to show up and fling open prison doors. God, I need you to show up. And I need your glory to be able to cause the shame, the chains and the shackles to, to fall off. God, I need you to move within my life. As the musicians and the praise team come this morning. We ended this morning with the song, I Speak the Name of Jesus. I have a confession to make that there are many times that God will, I'll wake up on a Sunday morning with a particular song on my mind and heart, and I'll say to Tina, hey, can you do this song this morning, either before I preach or after I preach? And my wife, bless her heart, 99% of the time she's like, I don't know how, but we'll make it happen. We'll figure it out. This morning I woke up and I could not get the, the song, I Speak the Name of Jesus, out of my mind and heart. But I thought, oh, as soon as I tell Tina that's the song I want them to do this morning, she's going to panic and freak out because they aren't necessarily ready for it. I had forgotten that that was already a song that had been chosen. So I'm telling her now. Because if we can grab a hold of this understanding that it is through the tribulations, the trials, and the afflictions that God desires to speak to us and to reveal His glory in our lives. 
That when it's in those moments, if we could be like Paul and Silas and just begin to sing songs of praise and worship, to sing hymns, to sing psalms, to be able to magnify the name of Jesus. If this song had been written back then, I would imagine that this would be the type of song that Paul and Silas would have been singing in that prison that night. Just declaring the name of Jesus. And so as you stand with me this morning, I want you to bow your head and close your eyes and I want you to make a decision. I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes because I don't want you to be distracted by looking at anyone or anything else. I want you to make a decision. Are you going to seize the moment of desiring to encounter God, encounter His voice, and encounter His presence no matter what may happen? Are you going to choose in the middle of how you feel or in the middle of your adversity just to praise and worship and say, God, I need you. God, I want you. I want to magnify you. God, I want to lift up the name of Jesus. As far as we know, Paul and Silas weren't praying. God, shake this earth and open up the prison doors. All they were doing was lifting up and magnifying God. And if we will follow suit, if we make that decision, I believe that whether we are in the altar, whether we are in our seats, whether we are at home in our living room, it doesn't matter where we are, that God's glory will be able to show up if we will press in and say, God, I need you. And so if you make that decision, I want you just to begin to raise your hands and I want you just to begin to proclaim his praise. Begin to worship Him for who He is, for what He's done. And if you don't feel like it, it may be a sacrifice of praise. I understand that. But I want you just to begin to acknowledge Him and just to call upon Him and just begin to press in and just don't worry about anything else other than just lifting up the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And as you do, just begin to worship Him. Just begin to praise Him. Just begin to magnify the name of Jesus. Oh, Lord. And as we do, the worship team's going to lead us. And as we do, we're just going to turn everything over to Him. And we're going to say, God, we need you. Yeah. 
Jesus over our families, Jesus over our communities. God, we declare the name of Jesus in every circumstance right now. And that, God, I pray that as we have this morning decided and chosen, God, that we are going to seize the moment. That it's not just about, oh Lord, us. It's not just about us experiencing your glory. Oh, but God, it's about us being used by you. And being able to seize what, oh Lord, is our last days. None of us know how long we have. So God, we say yes to you, Lord. That we want to tell others about you and about your love. That God, we want to be able to share. God, we want to be able to invite others, God, to know you. To, to come encounter your presence at church. God, we want to, oh Lord, be about the Father's business, God. And that, Lord, that there is nothing... Oh, that, Lord, that the enemy can do to stop the name of Jesus from going forth. If we will just say, yes, here I am, Lord. Use me. Speak through me. God, I love you this morning, and we praise you. And, God, I pray blessings upon each and every person here this morning. That, God, that as we leave, that, God, that we're not leaving to go about just through another checklist kind of spiritual week. But, God, that we are leaving seizing the moment, to be able to share the Word of God, to be able to, oh, give you praise, to be able to walk and worship God, to be able to encounter your Word this morning and this week, God, to be able to come back, oh, Lord, next time, refreshed, renewed, oh, Lord, having encountered your glory as you go before us. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Give God a hand clap of praise this morning. Hallelujah. God is good. God is mighty. God bless you for being our ushers.